you will find um, questions um, following today's sermon, which we will use on Thursday the 12th um, for the prayer meeting there. Um, we, we had some good discussion on Thursday past, and we're just going to pick up again from, from what we're thinking about this morning on Thursday the 12th. So um, please, please do pick up some of those questions at the back table. Um, if you have a Bible, um, please turn with me to um, the book of Ephesians. And again, this morning, it's, I guess it's more thematic. We're, we're thinking about loving the church. Um, so I, I, I don't really have, have one text for what we're thinking about this morning. Um, I'm going to take this as a kind of key text for us to, to spring from. But, um, but hopefully this morning will be, will be practical and helpful for you. So I'm going to read from Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 11. From verse 11. This is God's word. Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments and ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two. So making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then, you're no longer strangers and aliens, but you're fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Built on the foundations of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Let's take a moment and pray together. Our Father, we thank you for your word. Our Father, we thank you for this mystery that we've been brought near to you by the blood of Christ. And in that we acknowledge that we've also been brought together, we've been united to each other, and with the purpose of becoming more like Christ. And Father, as we, as we think about this this morning, we ask that we would hear from you. We ask that you would teach us, help us to know what it means to be the family of God. Father, we wait upon you in your word now. Take your word planted deep within us. Change us by it. And may we go on from here bearing good fruit. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. 
So loving God, loving the church, and loving the lost. This week we are thinking about loving the church. That is simply each other here in this room. And the order of these three weeks is actually very significant because if we love God, if we have God's love, we naturally love each other. That is the expression of God's love. Our source for loving each other is how God has loved us. Last week we focused on on John's Gospel and also John's first letter. And I want to begin there this morning um, just, just to help us see how loving God and loving the church are inseparable. You do not have one without the other. John 13, Jesus says, Love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. Further, John 15, Jesus says, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than someone lay down his life for his friends. And then again in 1 John, 1 John 2, he says, Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. And again, 1 John 3, perhaps the most stark that we read, By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. So we're saying last week how John makes these really stark contrasts. And here's how we tell the difference between those who are children of God and children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. And then we love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. We are to love each other in the way that God has loved us. How we love each other is a reflection of Christ's love for the church. So you see, we can't have one without the other. We can't say, I love God, but I don't love my brothers and sisters here in this room. Now, I think with those Bible references alone, if he didn't say anything else, I think there's enough for us there to go away with and to think about and to ponder and begin to try and apply into our lives. But I am going to say more, which may or may not be good news. Now, forgive me for the overload of of references here, but, but I think it's actually important for us to see how key this is through Scripture. Let's think of the, of the book of Romans. Of course, Paul has spent long times um, and teaching those those great truths of the gospel of how we came to know Christ. And I suppose we could sum it up by what we were thinking about last week, that God loved us. We didn't love him first. We needed him to act in our lives. We couldn't love him. But Paul sums up these great truths, and then he's applying these truths, and he says, chapter 12, let love be genuine. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honour. There's that great love passage in 1 Corinthians 13 where Paul says the greatest thing you can do for each other is to love each other. Again, Paul writes to the Galatians, he says, through love, serve one another. Again, writing to the Ephesians, Paul says to bear with one another in love. 
to the Colossians, above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Peter commands the believers he's writing to 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 love one another earnestly. So you see, this isn't this idea of loving each other. It's not something minor. It's not something that is kind of up for debate between Christians. And nor is is it nitpicking something from the Bible. This is absolutely central to the very gospel message. God has loved us that we might love him and each other. Salvation is corporate. God has always been working to create a, a people, plural. We read it in Exodus 6, I will take you to be my people and I will be your God. And we could think through even to, to Revelation, to that end goal of salvation, if you like. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, plural, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. The very end goal of salvation, again, has, has a focus on, on the togetherness, the corporate people of God, of God receiving glory through how he has loved his people in Christ. And the Bible, too, d- d- describes, gives us several images to, to help us understand who God's people are, what we should be. In Ephesians 2, Paul, Paul describes us as the household of God. Also in Ephesians and in 2 Corinthians 11, Paul refers to the church as the bride of Christ. Again, what we read from Ephesians, Paul says, all those who are in Christ are, are one, one man, one body. And writing to Timothy, Paul says, we're to treat each other as, as mothers and fathers, as brothers and sisters. In other words, the church is a family. Again, Corinthians 12, 1 Corinthians 12, Paul refers to the church as a body. And each of these images conveys to us that we are inseparably together. Bonhoeffer, in his book, Life Together, he says that the Christian brotherhood is not an ideal which we must realise it is rather a reality created by God in Christ which we may participate. You see, there's no such thing as no strings attached Christianity. As we have been brought near to God, united to Christ by his sacrifice for us, so we have been united to each believer. We are attached to each other, whether... We like it or not. So we often say you can, you can pick your friends, but you can't pick your family. And so it's true with the family of God. Being in a spiritual family or, or community, it's not an ideal. It's not something that, that we're striving for if we want to. It's a given reality of being a Christian, and we are privileged to be able to live this life together. Who am I? It's a question most people ask at some point or other. Who are you? 
What's your identity? We know identity is not something that we can construct, but rather identity is given to us, and as Christians it's given to us by grace. But even though we we may say our identity is that we are Christian or that, that I am a child of God, I think often we still view our identity individually. But our identity as God's children is always corporate. Our identity is church, the community of God's people. We do not go to church. We are the church. This is who we are. This is our identity. We cannot separate Christ and his people. We cannot make Christianity me and, and God or me and my faith. No, by God's grace, at a very costly sacrifice, we have been brought together in Christ. So we cannot deny this command to love each other within the Christian community. Now there's a very specific purpose to this loving community that we are a part of. And the primary purpose of of these loving relationships is our sanctification. We are to love each other with a spiritual goal. So your sanctification, that is your growing to become more like Christ, happens as you live within loving community. This is how God has designed his body, his household, and we trust that this is God's good design. Thinking back to Ephesians chapter 2, we've been brought near to God and each other by the blood of Christ, and the purpose is that the whole structure, that is every member, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. The purpose is our holiness, our sanctification. Listen further on in Ephesians chapter 4. We see there Christ gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for works of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So you see, each of us here this morning who are in Christ, who are part of the family of God, each of us play our part within the body of Christ to ensure that we are all growing, maturing together to become more like Christ. See, sanctification it's not the sole responsibility of, of me or of the elders, for that matter, but rather all our sanctification is the responsibility of all of us, of each other. We, we are to love each other, and I want to use this little phrase, with a redemptive purpose. We don't meet this morning, any time we are together, we, we don't meet as a body of believers with our own purpose and plan and goal. We meet to carry out God's purpose and plan and goal. And God's goal is that we reach maturity in Christ. And this happens as we love each other within Christian community. So we want to love each other with a redemptive purpose. Paul writes to the Thessalonians, 
He says, may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father. We love each other with the purpose of holiness. So you see, we are called here to, to much, much more than merely friendship. We have a specific and a spiritual purpose and goal to our relationships. I wonder how you do view other believers um, in this room this morning. I wonder if your desire to, to love each other in such a way that you see each other mature in Christ. Well, let's think together. How do we love each other in a redemptive way? Well, the first thing we need to do is what we're doing just now. We need to meet together. We need to see each other. And let's not restrict it to Sunday mornings. Of course, this is absolutely key and essential. But we need to meet together. We can't love people that we don't see. Barna Group, I'm not sure if you've ever heard of this group. Barna Group, they're, they're an organisation that gathers statistics on various Christian issues. Uh, and it's sometimes very interesting to read some of what they produce. But they reported research in 2011 about those who identify as Christian. And it showed that 78% strongly agree that spirituality is very important to them. But only 18% claims to be totally committed to investing in their spiritual development. But here's the interesting thing. Only 21% believes that spiritual maturity requires a vital connection to a community of faith. Statistics sometimes can be a little contrived, but they always tell us something, don't they? And I find that alarming because I believe it contradicts God's word, his means by which we would mature in Christ. So we've we've got to be together. We've got to see the importance of being together. That's the first and most obvious thing. But we've got to be more than just here. Jim Elliot I've enjoyed reading much about his life, but Jim Elliot once said, wherever you are, be all there. In other words, where you are, engage, okay? Be all there. How do we be all there? Well, the second thing I think we need to do to love each other redemptively is to talk to each other. Again, it seems fairly obvious. But to grow and deepen our love for each other, we've got to talk to each other. I think it's easy to be faithful at Sunday services and even midweeks, but but we're never actually engaging in spiritual conversation with each other. We're not actually using the opportunities we've been given to grow in redemptive love. Most of you know I I used to teach piano. And, um, of course, when when I was teaching piano, the, the purpose in the child coming and the goal of our relationship was that they would learn piano and improve as time went on. Now, if I never talked about piano, and if we never actually practiced piano within the time we spent together, well, they were never going to learn piano. And it wouldn't be long before their parent would say something like, well, there's no point to this. I'm not sending wee Johnny there to talk about his day. Now, when someone came in, I would ask them how their day was. I would ask them what was happening in school. Most of them were people 
I had known for many years. I was genuinely interested in them. But the priority and the focus of time was on piano because that was the purpose. That was the goal. And so with us in the body of Christ, we have a specific purpose and goal to our conversation. To refer to Ephesians again, chapter 4, Paul says, Speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up into Christ. In other words, our, our communicating with each other is a means by which we encourage each other to become more like Christ. For a long time, I, I had thought of speaking the truth in love as, as kind of pointing out harsh truths to your brothers and sisters, but well, we've got to do it in a nice way. But you see, the focus of this passage is gospel truth. Okay? Christ gave the apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teachers... Each of their role is to present biblical gospel truth. And he gave them to equip the saints for the work of ministry, that is, everyone here, for building up the body of Christ to mature and so forth. And so I will, or others may at times, teach from the, sun, teach from the front here each Sunday. But the purpose of that is to equip each of you for the work of continued ministry to each other. I'm not the only person here that is ministering. We are all in a role of ministering to each other. And if you read on verse 14, the point of that is so that you won't be carried by every wind of doctrine, but rather, speaking the truth in love, grow up into Christ. You see, our purpose and goal of being together is to mature in Christ. And the way we do that is by speaking the truth, that is, the gospel, that is, Christ, to each other. To give it a name, we could call it word-centered relationships. I think I'm back to my piano students again and, and, and those conversations. It's not that we here can't have conversations about the weather or sport or whatever else. But if our conversations never go beyond that, We've got to ask, is there any point to our time spent together? The priority and the focus of our time should be on speaking gospel truth to each other. I want to suggest just a few very simple ways we can engage with each other in gospel conversations. I think one easy, natural way is after a Sunday service, we normally have a cup of tea here is simply to talk about the sermon. Um, but what was the main point you took from, from today? How, how might that help you this week? Or perhaps you're, you're chatting to someone that maybe you haven't spoke too much before. Why not ask them how and why they became a Christian? This brings a focus to the relationship. I love hearing conversion stories, and I'm sure you do too. It's so encouraging when we hear that. It points us to... Christ. Or maybe just, just in conversation you say, do you know what, I was reading this the other day and it really encouraged me. Can I share it with you? I would love to encourage you with it as well. Or if someone's speaking to you, say, say they've had a hard week, encourage them with something from Scripture. Speak the truth in love. Bring Scripture to bear on everyday life. And I think, yes, speaking the truth 
in love will involve talking about sin, perhaps as we initially think of that verse. It will involve being able to talk about sin struggles in our lives. If your goal in loving each other is sanctification, then this will inevitably involve speaking about sin with each other. I think one-to-one meetings too are very helpful to encourage open and honest conversations. And wouldn't it be great if you could just arrange with, with someone else here just to meet up perhaps once a week, once a fortnight, pick something to read together. That, that, that's a way of just kind of focusing and guiding your conversations. And meeting regularly with people also allows us to build trust in each other to get to that point where we want to be. So we want to minister the word to each other. Again, of course, that's what I'm doing now. But let's not restrict to that. We can extend word ministry by having our relationships word-centered. And as we speak truth to each other horizontally, we could say, surely then it's only naturally that we talk to the Lord vertically. We're united to Christ and to each other. We are in continual communion with him. Our fellowship is in him. He's the reason we've been brought together. We don't want to just pray for each other, but with each other. And there's a difference there. We're praying for someone and with someone. And also, perhaps, not, not just in our corporate times together. Again, those times are precious and key, and I'm so thankful for them. But again, why not say to someone, let's, let's meet up this week and just pray together. Tell me what's happening in your day, and let's pray together that God will work in that, that you'll mature in Christ in whatever you're doing today. It might only be half an hour. Or perhaps, perhaps someone's speaking to you, they're telling you something, and, and you're just not quite sure how to respond to them. Pray with them. Just say, look, to be honest, I don't really know what to say now, but, but can I pray with you? And I just want to ask for, for the Lord's help, that, that you would know he's with you, that, that he would be glorified in this. Suggesting to pray with someone says to them, I love you, I care for you, I want to help you in this. I want you to know the Lord is with you in this. I want you to know his love. I want you to mature in Christ. 1 John 5 encourages us to pray about sin struggles with each other. And again, at the risk of repetition, if the goal is maturity in Christ, then praying will involve asking God's forgiveness and help for each other. So we want to strive to cultivate relationships where this may be more natural. And you know what? No one is going to be surprised by you asking help for a particular sin struggle. Do you know why? (laughs) Because we're all struggling with the same things, probably the same sins. But we want to help each other. We want to push each other forward with this. Next thing, if we want to love each other redemptively, we should practice forgiveness. Paul again in Ephesians, he gives further instructions about our speech. He says in 4.32, Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. If you know God's forgiveness, you will forgive each other. 
As God loved us and forgave us, so we love and forgive each other. To act with redemptive love towards each other and to encourage others in that means to forgive those who, who need our forgiveness, just as God forgave us in Christ. And to forgive others means that, that we're not going to bring that sin up again or, or we're not going to use it against that person. And, and we're also not going to bring that sin up to others so they'll think badly of the person. And we're not even going to bring that sin up in our own minds and dwell on it or perhaps even punish that person in our own minds. See, our unwillingness to forgive will, will stunt our growth in love and limit our maturity in Christ. In a biological family, we know that forgiveness is an everyday part of life. And it is that ongoing forgiveness that allows our love to grow and deepen. And again, so it is within the body of Christ. Ongoing forgiveness will allow our love to grow and deepen and give us greater understanding of God's love. final thing I want us to think about, there are so many areas we could think of in this, but the final area I want to, to just briefly mention is to grow and, and deepen our love for each other, to love each other redemptively, we help and serve each other practically. Last week we saw that God showed his love by focusing on our greatest need. And so as we strive to express his love, we meet each other's needs, small n. And again, I think it's important to remember that that our identity is, is corporate, it's not individual. And that means we look to others' needs. We make decisions based on the needs of our brothers and sisters. So perhaps how we spend our time, how we plan our week, how we spend our money is always done with our brothers and sisters in view because we are one, we're together. In Acts 2, there's that great picture of how the church shared what they had materially wherever there was a need. Or listen, what Paul writes in, in Romans 15, he says, for if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings, they ought also to be of service to them in material blessings. As a church community, we we bless each other spiritually, as we've been thinking about, but also practically. Further, Galatians 6, bear one another's burdens. Furthermore, do good to everyone, especially the household of faith. You see, to bear one another's burdens means that we actually take part of the burden. We feel part of the weight of responsibility for our brothers and sisters. So, for example, if you know someone who who may be struggling financially, that are your brother or sister, you share the burden. That means you give to them. You may make you a little tighter this month, but it's a way you can share their burden. We struggle along together. We've been so glad to have little Anna here the past couple of weeks. And it's, it's lovely to, to look at her and cry on her. And I shouldn't say I feel pretty. Emma's 35 weeks pregnant. But, um, but all the rest. But, you know, as, as we look on her, we only need to realize she's our responsibility. Robbie and Catherine's burden is our burden. They don't parent alone. We, we 
help parent together. Perhaps think of, of newly married couples. How can we help them in, in practical ways to share the burden, perhaps, of, of the challenges at that stage? Perhaps those of you who are looking after aging parents, I don't know, maybe it means just going and sitting with that parent for a few hours. Those of you who have children who do not know the Lord, this, this can be constantly on our minds. We share the burden together. You've all been so kind in, in helping me get, get set up here. Where there has been needs, you have been so quick to help. Cyril is my kind of workman. If, if you ask Cyril to do something, he is trying to have it done yesterday. <laughs> so, um, but I, I have been so thankful for many things um, many of you have, have done the past few weeks. But you know, this shows your love for God. It shows your love for me. And I'm so grateful. I'm encouraged. I'm pointed to the love of God by this. There are a thousand different ways we can help each other practically. Where you see a practical need, meet that need if it is at all within your means. We don't grow and deepen our love for each other from a distance. We grow and deepen our love from being involved with each other's lives. And you know what a beautiful thing that is, um, that we can actually take security in each other's love, knowing that actually we are living life aware of each other. We're living life looking out for each other's needs. There's great security comes from that. But if we love God, we love his family. And when we love his family, and I believe only then, can we begin to show his love to others, which sets us up for what we will think about next week, that is to grow and deepen our love for the lost. Listen to what Jesus says in John 13 as we close. Love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this will all people know that you are my disciple, if you love one another. Let's pray together. Our Father and God, we are so thankful again by how you have loved us. Recognize that love is your very character. It is who you are. You have been eternally loving. And we we thank you that you have chosen to, to set your love upon us, to pour your love into our hearts. And we recognize it is very clear from Scripture that if you have loved us, we love each other. And we recognize too that um, you have created this family. This isn't something we're trying to create. But yet, God, we are so privileged to be a part of this and privileged to love each other. So, Father, may we strive to outwardly express the unity that you have already created by the death uh, of your son. And Father, in these ways we've thought about this morning, may we love each other more deeply. May we desire to see each other mature in Christ. May our conversations be 
focused on Christ. May we pray with each other naturally. May we be at that place where we can talk about sin, where we can encourage each other in that. Thank you again, even in that. What a privilege that is to put sin to death in our lives and even to become more like Christ. Father, we are abundantly blessed. And we thank you. And may too, Lord, we meet each other's needs. May we live our lives other-centered so that we may reflect the love of Christ. Our Father, we thank you for our time together around your word. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.